the icons of real estate podcast. Are you ready to learn the proven money-making secrets from top producing icon agents? Ready to skyrocket your business? This podcast is for you. Tune in every week with your host, Tomasz Fonseca, and find out how to implement proven strategies to 10 times your business. From $3 million to $30 million in just 12 months. Brought to you by the Masters in Real Estate Marketing, Ardor SEO. Welcome to Icons of Real Estate. I'm your host, Patty Teal. Let me tell you a little bit about today's featured icon. James Cook is the America's Director of Retail Research at JLL. JLL is a world leader in real estate services. James oversees the production of the company's retail research and also serves as the voice of retail research. And he's also hosts a podcast called Where We Buy. That sounds very, very interesting. Welcome, James. Thank you for having me, Patty. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Oh, gosh, me too. As I told you when we were chatting, I've been so interested in what's going on in the retail space, but we'll get to that momentarily. First, I like to start the show with learning a little bit more about you, how you got to the position you have right now. What was the journey like? So I'll turn it over to you. Sure. Yeah. So I lead all of the retail research that JLL does um, for North America. So those who aren't familiar with our company, we're a global Fortune 500 company that we do everything with commercial real estate. And that's all kinds of stuff. That means managing apartment buildings. It means leasing out malls. It means helping people find office space, helping investors buy skyscrapers in New York City, all kind, everything about commercial real estate we're involved with. And my area is the little slice of that uh, that has to do with retail real estate. So shopping centers and um, you know high streets and, and, and urban retail. So the way I got into this uh, was I think a lot of, very similar to the way a lot of people get into real estate, which is kind of a weird angle, <laughs> like my, my college, uh, I have a degree in English literature. So I was like all about, you know, I love books. I love storytelling. I love writing. But when I got out of college, I was like, I don't know if I want to, you know, you know, get a master's or a PhD. I don't know if that's for me. And so I started applying for jobs and the job that I got was writing reports about the real estate market. Mm -hmm. And this was specifically in Phoenix where I lived at the time. And over the years, I've worked at several different um, commercial real estate companies and just kind of, you know, worked up the ladder uh, to now I oversee a, a group of, of analysts that, that cover North America. So now I live uh, in Indiana, kind of out in the countryside, but the nature of my work, I'm traveling all over the place and kind of, I tell people my job is to think about the future of retail and retail real estate. So it's a lot of fun. Oh, it sounds like fun. Yeah. So I guess we'll start with a very basic question. I think sometimes people get confused different types of commercial real estate as compared to retail. Could you explain exactly what is considered retail property? Sure. Yeah. So commercial real estate is a term that we use for anything that's not res that's not single family residential. And then within that, there's like retail subtypes, if you will. So there's the mall, which everybody knows because you've been to the mall, I hope. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. Every, and most people <laughs> still have their favorite mall that they go to, mm -hmm. but it's well beyond that. I mean, we have uh, unanchored strip centers. We have um, community and neighborhood centers, which are often grocery anchored, you know, um, basically any place that you go where there's retail stores, even um, uh, office buildings where the ground floor might be retail stores, you know, that's part of my research as well. You know, it's so fascinating because so many malls have really suffered. Um, I know uh, I've lived most of my adult life in Santa Barbara, and there was a mall that had Nordstrom's and Saks and Macy's. Well, Nordstrom, Saks and Macy's all closed down. And even some of the little shops up and down State Street, that's the main drag there, they're closed. And now I'm in Florida, and some areas do so well. Uh, the Naples downtown area is packed. But some yeah. of the strip malls, it's like all the empty storefronts. So what's going on with all these different places? Some make it, some don't. Yeah, it's an interesting story. Well, the mall story is we built, we, the development community built too many malls, uh, oh. you know, especially the 90s and the 2000s kind of leading up to the Great Recession. There was mm -hmm. just this continued overbuilding of malls. So we have too many, but they're starting those kind of like B and C and D malls that mm -hmm. um, aren't as popular. They're starting to go away. They're being redeveloped into other projects. And what we're left with is fewer great malls, you know, like, I don't know, you know, Ball Harbor or... Um, uh, what else are great ones like uh, King of Prussia in Pennsylvania or uh, Westfield Century City in Los mm -hmm. Angeles, these just mm -hmm. great A malls that are like global shopping destinations. So the mall right. story is we're going to have fewer, but the ones we have are going to be worth more than ever. Um, and then as far as physical real estate in general, mm -hmm. um, actually, it's a really good time. You wouldn't think so, right? But our yeah. vacancy rates are lower than I think we've ever seen them in my 20 plus years of researching. And um, a big part of that is when COVID hit, we had a, a short period where uh, everything went online. I'm sure you were shot doing everything you could to get delivery and, and click and collect. Um, but now we've had since then a backlash and um, online shopping has actually gone down as a percentage really? yeah I'm i know so nobody realizes surprised. that nobody realizes that yeah. I, maybe people were so tired of being <laughs> that's exactly right doing everything at home I'm, I'm free i can get out now that's exactly right and so physical shopping has come back mm -hmm. and tourism has come back so you said you're based in florida mm -hmm. florida has been our strongest market since wow. since 2020 mm -hmm. um since the the kind of the recovery after the short COVID recession, um, big demand. Um, and you know, what's interesting about Florida too, is dining out uh, mm -hmm. has made the biggest recovery. So in some cities, people have been slower to come back to sit down restaurants, like sit down dining, but in Florida, it's stronger than ever. We track the, um, we track the, like the actual numbers of sit down diners and restaurants, and they're way beyond what they were even in like 2019. So really big recovery there as well. Wow. That is so fascinating. I had no idea that the spaces were doing so well. And also does that include the small strip shops as well as the large, larger ones? Yeah. So you're sort of local entrepreneurs, what they might've called 
you know, mom and pop stores that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they, some of them were really hurt during the lockdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ones who have opened since then, or since then, or the ones who've made through it are actually quite strong. So a lot of those mom and pop or uh, small entrepreneurs focus on local services. And we had this big switch where during COVID, it used to be people spent the majority of their money on services. And then during COVID, it was the majority of their money on goods because they couldn't go out and, you know, get services. Now that's starting to swing back. Uh, people are going back to the hair sa- hairdresser, the hair salon, the barber, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, getting your nails done, all that kind of stuff has made a real resurgence. And so that sector, which is often the local entrepreneur, has made a real, a real recovery. Right. That's so fascinating. You know, this is just a personal uh, observation on my part, obviously not an expert, although I do like to shop a lot, but you are an expert. <laughs> so many malls have the same stores, you know, uh, even the smaller ones, they're just all the same, no matter where you go. It's kind of disappointing. It's harder and harder to find those unique stores. The downtown Naples here has unique stores. And there are certain little pockets, especially tourist places that have all these fun, unique stores. How do the big companies get such a stronghold on these malls? Yeah, it's that's a great question. And it's something we were actually just tackling on my podcast uh, last week. I interviewed um, an executive at Brookfield Properties, which owns a lot of kind of like really nice malls across mm-hmm. the U.S. And what you're describing, Patty, it's really the future of the mall. It's like they recognize that if your mall's cookie cutter and it's the, the same stores everywhere, um, people, you know, there's no reason to go. You know, you're going to get the same thing everywhere. Mm-hmm. So the the best mall owners are now working with local um, business people to add more local flavor. So you know, more local restaurants. You know, they're adding food halls that aren't just the chains. It isn't just the Sparrow, the Subway, the, you know, whatever that you normally see in a food court. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're adding new stores, new restaurants. And I mean, I kind of talked about this future of the mall where you'd have a a small, smaller handful of malls, but they'd be better. Well, part of that better is having cool local stuff that you can only get at that one place, but you still have to have the Apple store. You still have to, you know, there's stuff that you want to have. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, Everybody loves to go to Williams Sonoma. You know, mm-hmm. there's no reason that most malls shouldn't have that. Or, sure. or I love to because I'm a big co- cook, yeah. cooker. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so the the perfect mall is a mix, right? Mm-hmm. It is a mix. So I'm so glad to know that that is changing and that there will be more unique stores. It seems like a lot of the tourist areas. Well, we discussed Naples, but I I also lived in Sedona, and of course that's part of the fun. You go to Uptown, and they have all the unique little stores. Is that pretty typical of touristy spots? Definitely, yeah. Sedona is a great example, but there's a ton of other towns like that which have a lot of local boutiques, and that's really part of the the local flavor. I mentioned I lived in Phoenix, so. The big one was Old Town Scottsdale, you oh, know, yes, which yes. I'm sure you've mm-hmm. been there. I have, yeah. Um, which is so many great art galleries and some of my, to this day, some of my favorite restaurants are are down down there. Mm-hmm. Um, so to make a place unique, the last thing you want to do is make it like I say, cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. So you really want to have 
that local flavor. And those tourist shopping districts are, are definitely a place where, you know, you know, retail comes alive, you know, and, and dining and, 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 uh, you know, bar hopping too. I love, that's always fun. <laughs> well, of course. Yes. Yes. So your job sounds fun, but it also sounds a little bit on the technical side. I mean, how do you research and decide whether something is going to be a good investment for your company? We, we subscribe. I'm lucky it's a big company. So we have a lot of resources. We subscribe to a lot of different databases. There's several out there that track, you know, you can zoom into an individual building and I can look at, you know, everything from who owns the building to what the, you know, who's leasing at the building to, we use another tool to show us daily, I can tell you what foot traffic goes to any individual perfect, uh, commercial building, Mm -hmm. not, not who goes, but the number of people that go. Um, and so we have just a lot of data out there. And then also we have offices in all the major cities around the world. So I have a lot of local experts that I can tap into as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so fascinating that you can tell so much in this day and age. Can you tell for each separate store how many people are coming in and out? It depends. So mm-hmm. we use anonymized mobile phone data mm-hmm. um, the, through a, a third-party be- vendor that we purchase it through. So if the stores are separate, like if you're looking at like a big, you know, let's say what, there's a, a term we, we use called power center, which is an outdoor shopping center that has a lot of big box stores. Those big boxes are separate enough that I can easily see what the volumes of foot traffic are to each of those individual ones. But when you zoom in at like a city level and the stores are right next to each other, it's tougher to tell. So in, in cities, we're more looking at, you know, how many people are walking down that street, you know, right. in a day. Right. So just backtracking just a bit, you were talking about the malls and the good ones are going to make it and the ones that weren't so good. Although I thought the one in Santa Barbara was good, but whatever, the whole area kind of got a little depressed as far as the shopping. But um, what are they going to do with those spaces? Are there some good things they can do that maybe could help with homelessness and other problems or low-income housing? Are they being creative with what's happening? Yeah, and and to your point about that mall being a good mall, like they often are. We're not in a mall crisis. We're in a, I would almost say it's a department, a bit of a department store crisis. Oh, okay. Um, a lot of people, the the shoppers taste for department stores has gone away a bit. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people who would have gone and purchased much of their clothing at department stores will go either to boutiques um, or they'll go to um, value retail like uh, Ross Dress for Less or Burlington or places like that. And the department store, which has always been the middle priced option is going, is, is the demand for it is going away. They're not going away completely, but it seems like we need fewer department stores. So you end up with this, a lot of empty, large boxes in mm-hmm. these malls and the good malls can find ways to reuse them. So some of them will cut them up and put in, you know, I've seen Dick sporting goods. I've seen, there's a, a value retailer called Primark. That's very popular. Mm-hmm. It's gone into former department store space. They've made food halls, um, all kinds of different options, really the only limit is your imagination as to what to do with that space, but there's got to be the demand. So if that's what you do at a a good mall that just needs to refill that apartment store space, if there's another mall that was kind of always the, 
not the best mall in town anyway, right. and they lose mm-hmm. a department store or two, mm-hmm. they're just in real trouble a lot of they're times. Yeah. Um, so oftentimes the value of that real estate may just be the value of the land um, because it's so expensive to redevelop um, a mall into another use. Now, having oh. said that, mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of great examples. Uh, in Austin, Texas, there's uh, an entire... Um, college, a community college that's in a former mm-hmm. mall, which is perfect. Really? It's oh, got all the parking. And, yeah. yeah. Um, and we've seen health centers. Uh, mm-hmm. There's an example Vanderbilt in, in Nashville has a, has a um, health center. That's, that's a former mall, um, all kinds of different creative reuses. So it's really about the location. If you're in a mm-hmm. good location and there's a demand for some new highest and best use, there's a lot of creative ways you know, to redevelop that mall if you can get the financing to do it. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, the other thing that always crosses my mind is when I walk into a big department store of some sort, um, Belk maybe would be an example in the area that I'm at. And I look around and, you know, they have more employees than they have people shopping there. Or recently I went to a JC Penney's in the area and I had to circle around the whole floor twice just to find a clerk to check me out because it was very, very empty. How on earth are they staying in business or is it online sales? Um, well, I can't, I can't really speak to any individual retailer, but mm-hmm. the department stores that are going to be successful in the future are reinventing themselves. I see. So mm-hmm. the, for example, Macy's has been experimenting with new store formats and I give them a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're experimenting with smaller stores oh. um, that have more of a curated mix. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll also do like, you know, more services. So maybe there's a restaurant or a bar or, um, you know, a personal shopper there or something like that. Bloomingdale's has a small concept they've experimented with called Bloomies. Um, Pretty much every department store is looking to the future and thinking about smaller, more flexible department stores. So I think that solves one of those big problems that you ran into is it's like a big cavern and you're looking around just trying to find somebody. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) That's very interesting. So uh, just like so many businesses had to do during the pandemic, it sounds like the businesses that are flexible and are pivoting are going to be the ones that are going to make it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case in every type of retail and food and beverage and, you know, that we look at, you know, another good example is uh, um, uh, fast, fast, casual and fast food restaurants, which we call quick service. Mm-hmm. Um, they all pivoted during the pandemic to add in places for digital order pickup. They Mm -hmm. added all the new locations were adding new drive-through lanes. They added digital order pickup areas that were separate from the drive-throughs. You know, Chipotle even, which had never really done that, added in there what they call Chipotle lanes, which is where you can drive up and pick pick your digital orders. And so um, everybody proved that they were very adaptable. Even the casual restaurants would add in new online order pickup areas. And now that we're out of that and we're back to going out again, they now have this infrastructure for all that off-premise dining, which is going to make them stronger in the future. It means just more overall sales for them. Right. Oh, that's so interesting. So you mentioned that the future looks bright. 
Um, and that's a great thing for retail in general and investing in retail. So is it a good time to invest right now? It is. And it all depends on what you're investing in because retail is, is such a broad term. Mm -hmm. There's a million and one different iterations of what that means. So it really depends on the market that you're in and the property subtype that you're looking at. I think for, um, for private investors, so not institutional investors, mm -hmm. I think one of the most popular and I would say stable investments is what we call a, a single tenant net leased property. Are you familiar with that setup at all? No. Could you explain it? Yeah. So this is an example of where we'll take a, a drugstore. Mm -hmm. So let's say it's a Walgreens or CVS and they're, so they're a single tenant in that drugstore. And they have what's called a, usually what's called a triple net lease, which means that the tenant pays the taxes, they pay the electricity, they basically pay all the expenses. Okay. Um, so you as a landlord of that property, you're collecting the rent, mm -hmm. but you're not having to worry about being a landlord so much because the tenant's responsibilities include you know, all of that property upkeep. And so then the value of that property is really dependent upon sort of like the credit worthiness of the tenant. So you get a great credit tenant in this single tenant uh, lease property. Mm -hmm. And uh, suddenly it's a great investment and it's pretty passive, you know, so you could buy one, uh, you know, we have you know, clients that own whole portfolios of hundreds of these. We have real real estate investment trusts that own a lot of these. So that's that's a very popular way to invest in retail. Wow. So who are your clients at your company? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's, I, it's, I know you can't list them all, but just no, 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 no. I'm <laughs> I'm trying to think who's not our client oh, because we're such a big, big company. Yeah. yeah. So all of um so I'm just going to stick to the retail world okay. um, because outside of that, you know, we do all kinds of office and stuff. But if you're a retailer, um, we're working with many brands that, you know, to find new space. We also work with them to find warehouse space. So we have a whole division that does that. Um, and that's become very busy through COVID as there's more e-commerce, there was more e-commerce shopping. So we helped a lot of retailers uh, open up warehouse space. Um, online retailers, many of those are our clients where, you know, again, we're helping them find warehouse space, office space. Now, a lot of online retailers are open, opening up physical stores too. So we're helping them with that. And a lot of our clients own retail. So we manage uh, a lot of shopping centers. Um, if you own a shopping center, but don't want the hassle of managing it, you'll pay a management company to take care of it for you. And that's another thing that we do. Wow. You must have a lot of people working at JLL. How many would you say? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so we're a fortune 500 company and I want to say 30 to 50,000. Like it's a lot. Oh, it is a big, big company. Yeah. Yeah. I should yeah. know. I should know, That's okay. but it's you in that you can't know everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot. So, <laughs> so tell me about uh, your podcast. I love the name where we buy. That's correct. Isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's, I was being clever when I named it and I kind of regret that now. So there's a very famous book called Why We Buy mm -hmm. uh, 
by a cultural anthropologist, Paco Underhill, who studied how people shop and what drives shopping. And it is a classic. It's probably like 20, 25 years old now, but it is the classic retail book. And so I thought I would be clever and say, well, my, my podcast isn't about why we shop, why we buy. It's about the places we shop. So I'm going to mm -hmm. call it where we buy. Um, and the problem is that people know the book better than they know my podcast. So they get the names mixed up all the time. But <laughs> anyway, I uh, like it. <laughs> um, we've been doing it for since like 2016. So we've got, you know, probably like 215 episodes out now mm -hmm. um, talking to retailers, you know, all kinds of different retailers, restaurateurs, people who are developing um, uh, new shopping centers, shopping districts, recently did an episode on downtown Napa, California. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to do uh, what else is coming up? Well, I, I mentioned uh, Brookfield Properties that owns a lot of real estate. I try to always get on people who I think are embodying an interesting trend in retail. Mm -hmm. Oh, I just recorded one with, have you heard of avocado green mattresses? They're oh. so they're, they you know really how there's green? like a, what's that? <laughs> Are they really green? Well, in the sense that they're sustainable, oh, you yeah. know how there's like a million mattress companies that mm -hmm. popped up over the past right. few years. This is one of them, but their thing is they're organic mm -hmm. and sustainable. So they're only made with, um, uh, non, you know, non-plastics basically. Mm -hmm. So they're like organic vegan mattresses and they were, they started online, but now they're opening up a bunch of stores. So I had just did an interview with their head of real estate talking about where they're opening up stores, what the stores are like, what kinds of people are going to come and shop at them. So it's really fun to talk about like what their shopping experience was that they're, they're creating. Oh, that would be fun. I bet they have an interesting story to share. And I love the name Avocado Green. That's really cool. Yeah. So um, you are the host or the co-host of this show? Um, I'm the host of that one. Um, we actually have, Jail has a few other podcasts that I'm also involved with, but that's mm -hmm. the one that, you know, because my area is retail research, sure. that's the one that I'm, I'm most involved with. And, and who would you say is your main audience for the show? So the audience uh, broadly is anybody who's interested in how shopping decisions are made, you know, like how does, you know, why, why did, um, you know, why does, where does, you know, a mattress store want to open stores and why do they think about that? And how do they decide what the stores are going to be like? Um, but the audience specifically, it's the development community. So people who are interested in commercial property development and then retailers. Um, a lot of our listeners, um, you know, come from the real estate departments of different retail firms. Yeah, that is so interesting. So if somebody uh, wants to tune into your podcast, they would just type in the name and it's probably everywhere podcasts are distributed. That's absolutely right. It's called mm -hmm. Where We Buy. Uh, you can also find us on the web. Just go to wherewebuy.show and mm -hmm. that'll take you to the website that lists all of our episodes. Cool. And um, let's see, so many things to ask you. Um, if somebody is interested in being an investor with JLL, who would, how would they uh, decide if that's the right company for them and where would they go to contact them? Sure. If somebody's interested in, in investing in um, commercial real estate or leasing, uh, or maybe has a property they're looking for somebody to manage, 
I think the easiest thing is just to connect with me on LinkedIn and then I could connect oh, them with the right okay. person, depending on what they're looking at. If you search for James Cook, JLL on mm-hmm. LinkedIn, or actually if you Google James Cook, JLL, mm-hmm. um, I'm the definitely, I'll be the first result. My contact info is there. I'm, I'm often talking to people who have questions and I'm able to pass them on to the right person to connect with. It sounds great. And I love your journey from uh, being a literature major and graduate to being this researcher. How fun. Yeah, I feel incredibly lucky for the strange, unexpected path uh, my <laughs> career has taken. Yes, but fun. And, you know, it's a journey for sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much, James. I just loved having you on the show. You're just a wealth of information. Awesome. Thank you, Patty. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Bye-bye.